Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. So happy to have you. We're still locked down in this pandemic. We're not really locked down. I uh, wander freely, just have to have a mask on. And of course, follow certain rules. I hope you're following the rules. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have to call a lawyer like me. And you know what? It's just more fun to be entertained by me rather than have to retain my services. Uh, today on the show is yet another force of nature. Libby Cudmore is a writer, a journalist, and a rock and roll pinup girl. She's going to explain that to you. Uh, and she's so fun and she's so interesting. We've been friends for years, both on the internet and in actual real life. I think we've had breakfast at least once, maybe twice. And it was completely appropriate, I assure you, my listeners. You know what else is appropriate? Getting your child vegan Abe's muffins. They're vegan, and there's no junk in them. You're going to love them. They're allergen-free, and they come in all sorts of flavors. Uh, poppy seed, chocolate chip, blueberry. Just check them out. Abe's muffins. Go to their website. If you have any questions, contact me at my website at isthatreallylegal.com. I'm not going to chat too much more, just going to let you listen to this great conversation with the amazing movie cut. Welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very excited. It's it's a great thing to do on this broiling hot afternoon. Thanks. Um, and you and I have known each other for years. I'm not I'm not sure how we met, but we definitely have kept our friendship going over social media. Yes, I I know one of us followed the other at some point. Probably my guess is music. Is yeah. How we met. That sounds right. And I probably flaunted or tried to impress you with people that I met through former relationships and that impressed you. And so uh, un undeservedly so. But, <laughs> um, and then I love what you do with your weekly Saturday night. Why don't you tell people what it is actually that you do? Oh, Record Saturday. Yes, I uh, about four or five years ago, I started uh, live tweeting a record over uh, the hashtag record Saturday. And uh, so I, I tell the record ahead of time. I do a pinup, usually of the cover where applicable. And then I post each song in order and talk a little bit about it. So you know, it's yeah, well, first of all, you say a pinup. And so I just want to throw out that one of the things about this podcast was I wanted to make sure that I have plenty of women on it. Mm -hmm. um, I just, it's just true. And then I also yeah. want to have lots of people of color and queer people. I just want to have it represent the creative community in which I live. And- I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm a lawyer, but I used to call myself the suit that speaks creative because I too have been a writer and a musician, mm -hmm. what have you. So, so people understand these pinups are very, in my opinion, very tongue-in-cheek. 
They're mm -hmm. often a replica of what is on the cover. Yes. So a recent example was you did the Go-Go's first, I think it was the first album or is it Vacation? Yeah, yeah it's, it's Beauty and the Beat. Beauty and the Beat, which is the first album. Mm -hmm. And um, oddly enough, I know someone who was the PR person on that, but I won't get to, I know <laughs> we'll talk about that offline because <laughs> it's, we're not in relationship. It's not good, but <laughs> I learned a lot. And, mm -hmm. um, and what I love is your quote-unquote pinup is you in the bathtub with suds all over. Yep. Appropriately, what I love about it is it is very similar to the cover, which is designed to be wholesomely titillating. Is that yeah. possibly a phrase? Yeah, because it's, it's cheeky, I think is, is how I like to put them. I always try to be a little, a little cheeky. Right. And, and we're friends and I don't want to be, I, I, I will just say this. You're, I get the feeling when I see you in these things is you're very girl next door. Yes, I, I, I kind of am. I always, I come from a, what I call a Betty Page school of, of modeling because hers are always, they were never trashy. Um, you know, and of course I, I support whatever kind of, uh, you know, sex work or whatever kind of photography women want to do, but I prefer like kind of a much more yeah, cheeky or kind of wholesome. Because um, she, the thing with Betty Page that I always love about her is that she she was always smiling, like even in in her nudes and everything else, she was always just kind of happy to be there. Not a victim. Yeah. So right. and she had such a sad life, and but she just liked you know doing these photos. They made her feel good. So. Well, I I love what you do, and I don't want to give people the wrong idea. You've also. And you're a big Steely Dan fan. I can't even mm -hmm. open that door yet. But, <laughs> that's a whole podcast. That's a whole uh, other. That's, that's actually, uh, that's a novel. But, yeah. and we'll get to your novel in a minute. But um, you did the cover of, I don't know if it was a Steely Dan album or a uh, Fagan album, where he's wearing a white shirt and a black tie and he's smoking a cigarette. The Nightfly, yep. So, and I do a lot of my album covers are drag, which I really do enjoy. I actually think they're fantastic because I think that there's something very powerful and sexy and um, just interesting about playing with gender mm -hmm. and also it's your love for the albums comes through in your presentation of your version of the album work. It's hard sometimes when the, the artist isn't smiling because I'm having so much fun. It's like, okay, like put on my serious like Steely Dan face. So um, now, <laughs> I, I get a lot of compliments on that, like from uh, Sean Anders, the director of um, uh, Instant Family, who I've been a fan of for years since his first film, Never Been Thawed, wow. like shot me a message after like, I love your Nightfly avatar. Like, thank you, man who's films I've loved for 20 years? I, I know I, when I'm on Twitter, <laughs> even if someone just likes what it parts mm -hmm. me and doesn't, doesn't even have to say anything, like Phil Rosenthal, um, if you know who he is, mm -hmm. or Josh Molina. Um, and then when I yes. interact with them, um, Brian Ray, who mm -hmm. is a guitar player for Paul McCartney right now, and a bass player, he and I have had several interactions over social media, and I don't think he understands what that means to me. Oh yeah, no, I, I definitely know that feeling. He, it's amazing. He's a guitar god on his own. Yeah. And he's just an insanely cool guy. 
on so many levels. And he also plays with Paul McCartney, which I could faint if I ever met any Beatle. Now there's mm -hmm. only two left. Yeah. Honestly, and I've met a lot of famous people. We'll talk about some of that perhaps, or, but, but I would just say, well, let me ask you, is there anyone who, if you met, I'm gonna guess, I'm, I have a picture in my head who it is. If you meet them, you will faint. There's two people I can think of. Uh, I can name one that I almost did. Um, and I'm gonna say, yeah, probably, probably Donald Fagan. That, that was one of my like, fucking mind. <laughs> and the other one, I, I was gonna guess Elvis Costello. That's true. I would lose my mind if I met him. I would probably just be like, so I. You'd fangirl. I would fangirl. Yeah. Well, I think it's the not other. Derogatory when I say fangirl. I just no, like fanboy. Like, whatever. I, I yeah. Just... I just, there's something, especially because like, there's something about Elvis Costello's music that like turns me on. Like, I just become like ragingly excited when I, like, I scream orgasmically at his concerts. Well, I think. And, mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I don't even know if I could humanly handle that. I'm, I'm gonna get back to Elvis in a second because I have a tremendous love and appreciation for him and Diana Krall and, and um, uh, Nick Lowe and that mm -hmm. whole thing. It's a whole thing. And if, listener, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we're gonna educate you and not, I don't mean that like I'm smarter than you. I just mean like you're gonna learn something and then you're gonna go into the world and do some research and you will be blown away. But um, because this show is, is that really legal with Eric Rubin, premise of it is we're gonna talk about a lot of things, but I like to talk about how people bump up against the law. And right away, your love of the shield is really fascinating <laughs> to me. Because you like me, we have such, we're, we love lots of different things, but when we choose the thing we love, we become insanely passionate about it. Yes. We research everything, we look up everybody who had anything to do with it. We, you know, like, uh, I, so what's interesting about The Shield is, I, I don't know that much about it, and I'm gonna tell uh, you right now, I've never seen to, it, but. Oh man, oh you gotta watch it. Because oh, I remember so The Commish. Oh, I love the commish. But Michael, what's his name? That's, Michael Chick. I've heard interviews with Michael Chiklis. Who's a delightful person and a big Steely Dan fan. That's he sent awesome. me a picture one time of uh, of him with Donald Fagan. That's awesome. Was, and he I, was at the same show I was. That's like, fantastic. and I was not informed. <laughs> you're you're not bitter though. You didn't you didn't you failed to mention this man I've never met. That's good to know. You have reasonable expectations. Yes, yeah, the Beacon Theater. Man. That's good. I'm still mad that I haven't run into John Mulaney at the uh, <laughs> at the merch booth. John Mulaney is like if they built a like Libby like a Libby special in the Boyfriend Factory. I, you know, I saw his comedy. We're talking about the same guy, right? The comedy yeah. guy who used yeah. to write for Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I had no idea how much I loved him until I saw his. I think it was a Netflix special. Yeah, you gotta watch Oh Hello. Oh Hello is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Fantastic. I, by the way, people, you're not seeing this, but I am sweating uh, profusely. And so I'm just going to be wiping myself. Libby can see it and I apologize. <laughs> um, so uh, Michael Chiklis is just one of those guys who has had many chapters because, you know, let's just physicality and like the commission is kind of this wholesome and he's kind of pudgy, 
but he has an incredible range and he's had a wide range of experience. So the 180 degree difference when he goes from the Kamish to the shield. He's jacked. It's just like- And he's a badass. Yeah, he's really, he's- I mean, ethically, ethically ambiguous. Oh, I don't, it's not, it's not even ambiguous. It's, he's, he's a terrible person. So why do you love the show? I love it because for starters, it has the best pilot I've ever seen. Like I've never seen a pilot that, that ended the way it did until I saw, um, you know, they see Breaking Bad took a lot from it. Um, and actually the Righteous Gemstones. That's took, interesting. Took everything from that. Um, and because I didn't, I didn't know where it was going. And every episode is so tight and such a cliffhanger. And you just have never seen anything like it. Um, and for me as a crime writer, you know, I came up in the traditional PI school. And then of course, you know, watched Law and Order. I was a big SVU fan at the time. Uh, so seeing that really changed how I thought, not just about crime fiction as a genre, but especially how I wrote. And I learned a lot watching that about especially side characters and ensemble casts. Well, I'm and gonna the have importance to, of that. I have a lot of, I have a lot of stuff here. So let's <laughs> back up a second and say, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? I know you got your MFA in Maine, mm -hmm. but where'd you grow up and where'd you go undergrad? Uh, I was born in Oklahoma City, which I feel like that's an important distinction because I grew up in a small town uh, called Cobleskill, New York, which has actually boasted three authors, uh, poet Jason Bates. And uh, in my class was another author named Mackenzie Cassidy, who's got a book coming out in January. Um, so I want to give those two a shout out because for being a small, horrible town with a school full of, I, I think the legal term is child molesters. Oh, um, like it actually managed to produce three really wonderful authors. So let's, let's mm. give some shout outs there. Um, and I went to my undergrad in Binghamton where I studied under uh, Rex Parker, AKA Michael Sharp, the man who taught me everything I know. So I think you follow Rex. Yes. Right? Yes. Course. So I'm um, just really, I took a crime fiction class from him and it changed my life. No, actually, let me take that again. It wasn't crime fiction. It was, uh, I took an Arthurian literature class from him and it changed my life. He had us read The Long Goodbye by Raymond Chandler. And I realized uh, that when I was writing like a lot of like, not really bad fantasy and trying to write like literary fiction because I had a couple really terrible writing professors <laughs> and I could name names. Don't, um, please. I don't need <laughs> legal problems. But let me Sorry. jump a little bit. I have a question. So one of my favorite detective writers studied that stuff. And he, there's a lot of people uh, polarizing, perhaps. Robert Parker, the original mm. Spencer series. Yep. Did you read any of those? A long time ago. Um, I, in, when I was in grad school at uh, the University of Southern Maine, I read just so much that a lot of them kind of blur together. Right. I know I did, but like I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I liked the character. Unfortunately, the new Wahlberg thing that they did was absolutely not at all like the book. I don't know how they got to... It was just awful. I'm just going to be blunt, Mr. Yeah. Wahlberg. I'm sorry. Um, he sucks, though. I, I can't. I don't... I don't <laughs> 
I don't want to get to that kind of podcast. Well, you can I'll just that, say, but he just sucks as a person. <laughs> Okay, I, I know there's been some issues. I'm just not a fan of that piece. But you, um, being a crime writer, or once you started being a crime writer, did you care about the law, the real law, as an element of the writing? Was that part of your research? Or did you feel like, you know, I know enough that something's either murder, it's not murder. I'm more interested in other aspects. Well, when I started, not as much, I'll admit. Um, Fine. So uh, where do you work currently? The hometown Oneonta and Freeman's Journal newspaper. I'm the managing editor. We also have a website, allatsego.com. Uh, I actually have a, a, a crime story up there right now uh, about a recent sentencing. So um, wow. we can come back to that if you want. But um, once I started working with police and district attorneys and sheriffs, uh, I started caring much more and kind of learning those intricacies of the legal system. And it definitely shows in, in my work. I like using that. I like, you know, understanding how these things work and how they can be applied, even though I work exclusively in the, the PI genre, at least right now. You know, I think of it as an act, having been an actor myself, where there'll be a lot of things I would read, or if I had no clue, I might go to a museum and look at the artwork of the time. Yeah. That the, like, I'll do, I would do whatever I could to try to connect in some way, and none of that would show up in a performance specifically, but it might be under, you know, several yeah. levels of sediment, and it might it, make a difference. It informs the work. As a writer, you knew the word to use. Yes. <laughs> How excellent for you. <laughs> I want to get back to Mr. Uh, Costello. Specifically, have you ever done a pinup of any of his? Because you can't do armed forces, right? That's all elephants on the cover. That wouldn't be appropriate. But uh, no, this but year's model. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say I could wear a, you know, sexy army uniform or something. You should probably just not be drinking while I'm talking because you're gonna you're gonna go spit take at some point. Oh, but I need to hydrate because I'm literally going to just die. Just a camelback. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you when it's safe to drink. Thanks. I I think um this year's model would be good. You could be behind the camera. That. Oh, I, I did didn't know. I did uh, actually. We did a nude variant of it, but I couldn't hide appropriately, so you can uh, see everything. I know it's right, my, because the my husband has it. <laughs> How nice for him. Yep. My husband's my photographer. He's a Ian, Ian Austin. He's a brilliant photographer. I love him. He also happens to just be a nice guy and a really, uh, as you would want in a husband, a very supportive person. Yes, he is. Um, you also, you know, it's interesting. I to do a little background. I looked in several places to look you up because even though we've met in person, we've we've broken bread. Yes. Um, you know, uh, one of these websites has your agent as. I don't think it's really your agent. Isn't your agent a guy named Eric also? No, my agent is Jim McCarthy. Oh. No, I did a, a you're talking about Eric Smith. Yeah. Um, I had done an anthology with him, but we're good friends. I adore oh, him. But right. I did a an anthology called Welcome Home with him. Okay. What I, what I think is awesome is how much every type of artistic community ultimately becomes this little town of people and people start to meet each other. Yeah. Um, 
you know, in New York's acting community, when I was a professional actor, you'd see each other at certain types of either commercial auditions or equity Broadway, you know, things, or even running into each other, coming in and out of uh, music or vocal things. I think one time I, not that I'm remotely near her, but Bernadette Peters was leaving when I was going into working with a guy who I was working on audition pieces with. Speaking I of know. people I would faint in front of. She is very tiny. And that doesn't surprise of, me. Right, but there's a lot of energy coming from that yeah. tiny. It's like um, some kind of uh, extraterrestrial thing. She's not no, not a regular person. And that's, mm -hmm. I mean, that is a compliment. Yeah. Um, and in a weird way, I've also run across Rachel Dratch, different, but kind of similar. Mm -hmm. um, I can see that. Yeah, but I'll, I'll put that aside for a moment and say we have a lot of friends in common just by dint of being in the same kind of loop on Twitter, especially. Well, and that's my favorite thing about Twitter is it becomes this cocktail party, almost. Um, as long as Nazis don't show up. When well, Nazis yeah. show up, it's not as fun. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's, that's any place nowadays. You can yeah, just be out and a Nazi shows up. And you're just like, oh, man, I'm just, at the, I'm just at the grocery store. Take off your stupid hat. <laughs> now, you, you know, it's funny. I'm in Brooklyn, and you would think that we're immune from the no. Nazi thing. But no, definitely not. Um, first of all, there are signs on some cars. And look, I'm just going to be blunt. There's a lot of police who support uh, the current president. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, the police chief or commissioner, there was a recent picture of him with a Q. QAnon or whatever that thing is, mug. Yeah, I know that's the international sign. Um, and then um, it's just, there's a playground near where I live named for one of the Beastie Boys. Yeah, I heard about that, that got tagged with racist graffiti. That's like not. Yeah, and it's so, and, I mean, it's Brooklyn Heights. It's I used to not, live there. Yeah, it's not, you know, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma or Tulsa or whatever. And no offense, Broken Arrow, I've been there and it's really lovely. It just is came it? out of my mouth. Um, well, I may, my experience I, was really lovely. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I, I spent my summers in Oklahoma City. I love Oklahoma City with all of my heart and all of my soul. The rest of Oklahoma City is a hell. Well, I have my, you can I have cut my that issues. if you need to, but. Uh, that's all right, I have my issues with Texas. Frankly, nobody's writing in, so. I, I have nothing good to say about Texas. <laughs> but, no, but so, Oklahoma at least has Dr. Pepper Ices. I had no idea. They're, you've never had them? Oh my God, they're amazing. They're my favorite. It's 7-Eleven. I might've had a Slurpee. We call them Slurpees. No, they're Icy's in Oklahoma only. Very interesting. I, I will send up, you a picture that I took because like oh nobody brother. believes me. And it, they're called Icy drinks. I see why. You can get them in Dr. Pepper. They're the first thing I get when I arrive. So when I was younger and much more foolish about food. I worked in a music store selling guitars and assorted things. And I started my day with a wholesome breakfast of diet Dr. Pepper and a cheese whiz covered pretzel. It's amazing on the live. Yeah, honestly. honestly. <laughs> I, my sister used to uh, start her day with a Dr. Pepper. She was the coolest person I knew. So oh, she lives oh, in well. Texas, which is unfortunate. Oh, she's still alive. That's a good sign. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, so Eric Smith, who we will just call out right now and who I want to be on the show also. And I love um, that man. He, he is a real mensch, a real nice guy. He's just like um, a pure radiant beam of light. 
he and his, his lovely wife, who I actually haven't met or really communicated with, but she seems lovely. And unfortunately, his junior agent, Augie, passed yeah, away recently. I was so sorry to hear about Augie. I really, I got to tell you, it, I've seen a lot of bad shit happen this year. But one of the things that really laid me low was losing Augie yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, oh my I, God, and that, that I, post he did about he did. How, to, how to write a story, oh. seeing all the pictures of Augie, I know I was crying. I, okay, don't handle I, pet loss very well. No, I'm, you know, yeah. So we are petless right now. We had Cleo for a long time. Yeah. She, she was a cat. Mm -hmm. um, and we are not getting any animals soon because once everything gets better, we're redoing the apartment and we didn't want to put <laughs> an animal through that. Yeah. There'll um, be plenty waiting for you. Uh, there, there are cats waiting and it'll happen, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, so let, let me... This is really serpentine, and that's fine. Uh, you, um, so you get out of grad school <laughs> in Maine. Um, what happens next for young Libby Cudmore? Oh, uh, geez. Um, that's when I started working for the paper, and I started writing uh, the, the Big Rewind. So this was in 2000, probably 2013. Um, I wow. graduated in 2010. I, I'd written a lot of short stories. I was kind of wandering around. You young people with your <laughs> with your driver's licenses and ability to write on a I computer. I didn't say I had my driver's license at that point. No, what, what I mean is um, years ago <laughs> when, I, when I was a different kind of lawyer, I would do a lot of depositions and people would hand me their driver's license and I would say that stuff into it. And the first time I saw one where it was like, oh my God, I graduated law school that year. Or, <laughs> oh my God, I remember where, I, like, this is not that long ago. Aren't yeah. you too young to be driving? Kind mm -hmm. of, I just, it's very weird. I, I have this weird thing about age for myself, which is ridiculous that I still feel like I'm 12, but I also am very aware of how old I am. And I it just feels feel strange. Yeah, I still feel like I'm 32. And then I, Especially because I do two other podcasts. Um, I'm on the Shattered Shield podcast and OST Party. All of my hosts are younger than me, which seems weird. Because it's like, no, I'm young. I'm hip. I'm almost 40. That's very <laughs> oh, strange to me. I'm so um, amused. <laughs> but, um, but no, so I started, uh, I actually started writing The Big Rewind in a notebook on the bus to work. Because as I said, I did have my driver's license. Um, I was a late bloomer. Um, Tell people and, what... Tell people about The Big Rewind, please. So The Big Rewind is, it was my debut novel, came out with William Morrow in 2016. It is about a young temp named Jet Bennett, who, while delivering a piece of mail that turns out to be a mixtape to her neighbor, she realizes her neighbor is dead. And she uses the mixtape to try to figure out who killed her. So it's I kind of like, it was a hipster mystery. I love, first of all, that there will be people listening going, mixtape? It's like a Spotify playlist, but it's <laughs> It's on magnetic tape. Yeah, and, and actually, oh, tapes, because uh, that tapes are coming back. Everything comes back. I mean, vinyl I is back. You know that better than anybody. I brought vinyl back. I just want to take credit for that. Everyone's like, yeah, I bought a Taylor Swift album on vinyl. Like, I made that happen. Well, did you talk to Mark Maron about that? Because he might I, differ. Well, Mark Maron can have me on his podcast. I, I think that would be great. But I, I just want to point out, I, I want to point out I got you before Mark did. Yes, you did. And you're also better looking. 
Oh my God. Well, now I'm just going to have to throw you nothing but softballs. Um, <laughs> you like I don't know how to make this work. Oh, yeah. Oh, and believe me, I'm fine with being manipulated. <laughs> just, just ask all the women I've given houses to. Okay. Um, so Before anyway. we go on, I don't know if you can see this. Check out this cool button that I got. Um, so, oh, it's Spike. And so people, so for people uh, who can't see this, it's one of those 3D buttons where when you uh, move it, the image changes. And one image is the word Spike with a spike for the eye. And the other image is Elvis Costello, whose nickname is Spike. And that's pretty cool stuff. I also want to say publicly, thank you again, Libby. You sent me one of those 45 inserts. Talk about old technology. So kids, there used to be these small records called 45s uh, that had one song on each side and they were played at 45 RPMs, revolutions per minute. And um, in order to play them on a thin spindled phonograph, you had to insert something. There's a word for it. Do you know the word for that? actually. I don't either. So whoever, whoever can send it to I me I just call first, it adapt, an adapter. Maybe, yeah. Um, well, in any event, you sent me one. Mm -hmm. And it's still on my desk in my office, which I can't go to because of the pandemic. But it's there. And um, it's cool. I'll send you another one. Thank you. Somebody has jewelry of that on a chain, like silver and gold yeah. versions of those. They're pretty cool. I need to get one. Yeah, I'm sure it's a great conversation starter for people who are like, what's that? Is that some weird religion? Yes. Yes, it is. When I was young, let's, you know what, let's just be old right now. When I was a kid, you'd buy 45s. And to tell you how my memory, the first 45s I bought were Tommy James and the Shondells, Crimson Excellent. and Clover, or Pony Pony, or Moni, whatever <laughs> it was. Um, and also um, Beatles, eight days a week on one mm -hmm. side. The other side was I Don't Want to Spoil the Party, which is an underrated, amazing song. Um, but you would play the crap out of these records and then you would put them in your little uh, record holder or uh, a kind of container, uh, which held about 20 of them. And then you'd go to your friend's house and you guys would we'd sit around and play records. And, yep. and it was a thing and yeah, it was and a great thing. And that's essentially what I'm trying to do with uh, with Record Saturday. That's kind of the whole idea. It's just a record listening party like you would have with your friends. And what's great is you can enjoy a record listening party on so many levels. Mm -hmm. One is just, it's fun to hang out with friends and listen to great music. Yeah. Or if you're especially geeky like me, you'd go, let's all just listen to the bass parts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, you don't need to be on drugs. You can no. do this without drugs. I mean, you're welcome if that's your if thing. If that works. But, you know, for instance, you know, the Beatles stuff for, you know, why was Paul McCartney, why do I consider him so innovative and I'm not alone? Even on the early Beatles things, when you listen to his bass parts, they're very different from other bass players. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go to that cul-de-sac. I'll happily do it, but <laughs> not with you. Because um, you have more things to say. So the big rewind became, at, at, you got a Kirkus starred review. I did. I looked you up. And that's really cool. What did that do for you, if anything? Um, it honestly, I don't know that it necessarily did anything for me, except really made me feel amazing and awesome. Because I'm just a girl from a small town who really wanted to be like, y'all said I do nothing. So <laughs> um, it really it gave me that confidence 
to that I could take to my high school reunion should I ever <laughs> decide to go, which I'm not going. So do you get pressure as a writer, like for musical groups, um, when they have a hit, certainly a hit album, like let's say the Go-Go's did with Beauty and the Beat, there's a lot of pressure to follow up with another hit album and as soon as possible because money drives the entertainment business. I know this is money a shock. Money changes everything. So, <laughs> you may have to sit down, but yeah, by the way, uh, I just someone who I met through somebody with a connection to her, Eric Bazilian. Mm -hmm. Do you know Eric Bazilian? I don't. So Eric Bazilian is the lead guy for the Hooters. Okay. And I think that sounded familiar. Right. And he wrote What If God Were One of Us. Yes. People think it was Prince, but Prince covered it. No, 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 no. And Joan, obviously, Joan Osborne had the hit. And my dad and, and I wrote a cover of it about Godzilla. <laughs> You can hear it on the OST party episode about Godzilla. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. You should try to get that to Eric Bazilian. I know he lives in Philly, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, just we're all connected somehow, I, mm -hmm. I believe. But getting back to, I'm going to listen to this, by the way. And in my efforts to edit this, I'm going to shake my head and go, I'm talking too much. Let Libby talk. <laughs> Let Libby talk. Um, so apologies. Uh, do you get, okay, so my, my premise was there's a lot of pressure to come out with the second album as quickly and as greatly as possible. The problem for a lot of uh, music writers and groups is that they've been working on that first album for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like the Cars kind of, all their first album is like an amazing first album. What was great is that I think Candio is great as a second album. I prefer Candio, actually. Okay, Vacation? Not a, not in my opinion, a great album, but a yeah. lot of pressure to get it out. Yeah. So were you uh, told by your editor or other people at your publisher, this is great, where's the second book? No, I, William Morrow bought the book with a rights of first refusal and I actually pitched a sequel. Yeah, my editor, Chelsea, had moved to another publisher. Which by and the way, uh, for you folks listening, this is not unusual. Yeah. Even before publishing went through the earth shattering stuff that it's still going through in my opinion, mm -hmm. and we could talk about that. When suddenly uh, distribution went pretty much solely through Amazon for a while, bookstores closed, you know, everybody's rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic, merging publishers. Mm -hmm. A lot of people just left publishing or moved around. Was that yeah. your Yeah. And she actually left the day my book came out. So, um, uh, but I, I was left in the hands of her, of her editorial assistant, uh, Elle, who championed the book at first. So I was actually, I was very, very, very lucky. Um, I have no complaints there. But, right, because um, and again, in a different type of show business, in movies, when if you are the star of a movie or a director or a writer, and suddenly the people who help produce your movie at the studio are kicked out, the people who stay on shelve your project or blank can it because mm -hmm. they it's not their baby yeah and they don't care or they specifically want to show that the person before them was terrible mm -hmm. so it really hurts your project yikes yeah but so the sequel that i pitched i, I didn't have i had a um, proposal i hadn't actually written the book um didn't it, it didn't garner any interest so um so it was back to the drawing board 
Well, uh, it didn't garner interest from your publisher. Did you shop it? No, because it was just a proposal. Got and it. so they wanted a, a second book. So I actually ended up writing a whole other novel. Um, and I could talk about that if you want. Wait, is that, is that scheduled to be published? No. That's interesting. Not. Yeah, my, my second novel um, got, it, it almost got to table, but I just, I got a lot of interest. I got a lot of, I got beautiful rejections and I know that sounds like Trumpian, but they were some of the kindest, it's just like, we love this. We just don't think we can sell it. So just so people are clear, because we're using uh, little inside baseball terms, when uh, Lou says it, it almost got to table, when ed editors get a project from a writer, it kind of goes up this reverse food chain. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, if everybody who it runs into thinks it's worth taking all the way up, it then literally goes to a conference room where they sit around the table and it literally goes to table and they talk yeah. about when, if they can do it, who's going to do it. Comp it, titles. All, yes, exactly. And by comp titles, living means com comparable books that are out there. It's, it's a very, it's a tough road. Yeah. A lot of people in traditional <laughs> publishing, this is considered traditional publishing. Um, it's, there's a reason why it's hard. Um, yes. It's like a, it's like being a salmon and yeah. you really want to get up that stream, but there's grizzly bears, there's guys from Iowa who are fishing and there's just like, sometimes it's tough to be a salmon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you end up on a bagel. Yeah, exactly. Of, from Fairway. <laughs> Not even Fairway anymore. No. Closing. Oh, that's a whole other I know. I, I spent a lot of time on the Upper West Side. Uh, my grandmother ah. lived oh. there. And so I got to, I got to have like the Upper West Side Jewish experience. I can see the, you doing that. Yeah. It's one of the formulative experiences of my life. And when I heard Fairway was closing, it just, and it also coincided with my grandmother going into a nursing home and it just, uh. it hit me so hard. Like I was just like that whole part of my life is ending. And it was like, yeah. it was devastating. So. Yeah, we have a fairway near where I live out in Red Hook, and that's closing. I mean, they're all closing, obviously. Yeah, I had heard the flagship on 74th. Right, and Broadway. Hold on. I don't know. I used to take dance tap. <laughs> this is great. I used to take tap lessons at Steps on Broadway. Yes. Right above the fairway. Yeah, I used to, when I would walk down, uh, when I'd walk down there, I would look up and watch the, all the like beautiful dancers. Yeah, I was not one of the beautiful ones. You might have seen, you might have seen, is that guy training to be a bear? <laughs> a dancing bear. Yeah. The people at Disney really, again, talking about myself too much. Uh, one of the casting people at Disney was like, Eric, you're funny. I love your voice. You really need to be able to tap. Can you go tap and come back? And I went there and some people are just not tap dancers. And I'm in that Venn diagram of Me not. Too. Um, so, so that book, is that available to anyone? Have you thought of self-publishing it? Have you thought of shopping it a second time? What's going on with that book? No, I kind of moved on from it. I went back and read it a little while ago and I thought, this is good. I can see why it just didn't quite, it wasn't quite where it needed to be. And I, I tend to move on from projects. Mm -hmm. um, but I took the, 
I cannibalized the, the proposal, the Big Rewind sequel. And I, I had two characters in it named uh, Valerie and Martin Jacks, who were a, a, a father-daughter duo. And I ended up, I don't want to say too much because the book is out on submission right now. Okay. But I, I cannibalized them and, and did some work and tinkered with them. They're, they're no longer father and daughter, but um, made them a PI team and wrote oh. a book with that. But I can't say uh, the Martin Wade is the, the older man. And he's, he's the private eye. He's a, a former uh, sort of a Mark, or sorry, sorry, sort of a Paul Westerberg type. For people who don't know, Paul Westerberg is a great rock and roll singer songwriter with a little band called The Replacements. Yeah, and I was on his own. Um, all of a sudden, I'm hearing this song in my head that I have on one of my mixtapes I gave to somebody at one point. Damn, it just opens with a guitar part. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to find it. Like, be yeah. bad to me? Is that? Maybe. I, don't, I actually don't know a whole lot of his solo stuff. Uh, I know Silver Naked Ladies on the Tommy Boy soundtrack, which I love. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's he's sort of like sorry. if Paul Westerberg was, um, was played Philip Marlowe. He's this ex-punk wow. singer. And um, I've actually got a story starring him. It's before uh, his assistant Valerie comes in the picture. Uh, it's called All Shook Down because of course it is. And um, it's coming out in Ellery Queen. Actually, by the time this launches, it will be in Ellery wow. Queen's magazine. Oh, uh, wow. Ellery Queen magazine has been around forever because I remember getting it when I was in high school. Yeah, it's um, the oldest continually publishing mystery magazine. They take 1% of, of uh, stories submitted. I've been trying to get in there for, no joke, 10 years. What I think is interesting is that um, you have a lot of short story experience and yes. that you feel comfortable writing both short and long. I think that if really pushed, a lot of people would say, I really don't want to do one or the other. There are a few people of note who can do that, but I think of like T.C. Boyle as mm -hmm. one of them, and he's another one of those people who's not a person. I don't know what his deal is. <laughs> uh, do you, are you familiar with his work? Vaguely, I, I, yeah. I know I should be more, but. That's all right. I, yeah. You know, he, he does short stories sometimes for the New Yorker and yeah. he has novels like, you know, Water Music and he did that one about Kellogg um, that became a very bad movie. Sorry, I'm too critical of people. But anyway, um, so you, uh, the only problem for people who like to write short stories is that it's very hard to make that a profitable situation. Yes. Correct. You know, if you are someone who can put together collections of short stories and people really love you, or even essays, if you're somebody... Yeah, if you're like, George Saunders. Or, or I was thinking more, um, uh, we talked pretty one day. Um, David Sedaris. Right, thank you. But, you know, David Sedaris is like a brand of his own. And, mm -hmm. and uh, usually when we read collected short stories, it's because the person's been dead for a while, mm -hmm. you know? And so, and no offense, uh, you're quite alive. So that can be hard. <laughs> I don't feel it in this case. <laughs> um, we're both on the East Coast in New York, just far, like a good five hour drive from each other. And it's hot in Brooklyn, I'm not gonna lie. Um, but uh, I love short stories. And I think that just because they're not quote unquote profitable, 
doesn't mean that we don't need them or want them. And I know that people like myself really love getting certain magazines and we like having a story that we can read the whole thing before we go to bed. Yeah. And that's not that you are a sleep inducement. It's literally, you know, writing is entertainment. And I, when I did stand up and I was a, a kind of a comedian performer, or whatever, I didn't realize until I was kind of wrapping up that career, how important it is to entertain people. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it, inherently has to be an important story. I think, oh man, now more than ever, people need a laugh. People need the hair to go up on the back of their neck and not because of politics. People need to really get out of themselves. But it also, good entertainment goes beyond those things. Although frankly, I think that's enough, but it can inspire people. Yeah, and I mean, you think about, you know, romance sold romance and crime and horror all sold wonderfully during the depression during the war years i mean for me i remember because i i had just graduated college um and when the you know in 2008 when everything just fell to pieces and the war in afghanistan was still on the war in iraq and crime fiction just had like a secondary resurgence or probably a tertiary resurgence at that point um I mean, I was watching movies like Blood Diamond, like Sin City, which is another hugely influential film on me. Um, Children of Men, Inside Man, um, on my wall right now. Inside Man, I just rewatched Inside Man because my wife had never seen it. And I said, I have to tell you, I like Spike Lee and he's from around where I live originally. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I feel certain things are heavy handed, but I feel like Inside Man is what's brilliant about it is it's like a noir thriller, but like the two heavy duty good guys are black. Like Denzel is Sam Spade in a way, he's just a New York detective. Yeah. And I mean, you can't go wrong with Christopher Plummer as the heavy and Jodie Foster is so terribly good as a terrible person. And, And we as a society, I think one of the many, many things that we've done wrong as a, because we've done so much, we're, t- people are terrible. We did Clive Owen dirty. Clive Owen should have been James Bond. We let him uh, wither on the vine. We had him and we let him go. I, I really love Clive Owen. And again, I just watched the first Bourne movie with my wife um, and he's in it as a, as a spy, assassin, whatever you want to say. My other pretend boyfriend, Walton Goggins is in that too. Walton Goggins, which one he's, is he? He's, he's like in the control room or something. Oh, okay. I, 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 see, I see your type. Yeah. You're, you have a kind of, is it possible to be a waspy bad boy? <laughs> or a very white, a preppy bad boy? Because <laughs> I think that's your type. No, my type, I have, I have, I have like, than your yeah, husband. like British bad boys. Um, I like... Dudes from the Midwest, like the more Midwestern, the better, like Bob Odenkirk, kind of Midwestern. Wow. Um, or like Southern, so they get Walton Goggins in there. It sounds like you're, it's kind of a little boy crazy time for you. <laughs> I am always, I love men, I do. Hey, by the way, oh. that's really cool. And I, you know, like I said, I want to have a lot of voices on this show. 
And I'm really going out of my way to make sure I have my friends who are women or people of color or queer, all that stuff. Um, I, I want to hear this. Why do you love men? I mean, I love women and my yeah. wife, my wife, who I'm madly in love with, um, she, she knows like all my friends are women for the most part. Um, and I could tell you why, but this is for you. Why do you love men? Oh, I can't, I can't even explain that. I just, I mean, I love everybody. I very much believe that like love has no gender or even on like, I mean, I would marry Janelle Monae in a heartbeat. I love her. I want, I want to be her boyfriend. But are you, uh, are you about to make any kind of statements or announcements on this podcast? <laughs> I don't want to actually, let's not go there. Okay, um, good. But you know, Janelle Monae is amazing. She is. Janelle, I want to be her boyfriend. What I think is cool is Janelle Monet sort of, so when you were talking about crime and romance and fantasy, whatever, we in publishing call that genre fiction. Yes. Which I think is very funny, as opposed mm -hmm. to literary fiction, as if people really know what those boxes should have in them. Yeah. You know, we think fantasy is swords and dragons, but what about urban fantasy? After a while, some of these labels start to lose their meaning. But Janelle Monet has done albums where she incorporates a variety of genres of music and literary process and through line. So, mm -hmm. you know, she has this whole dirty computer thing. Yeah, and... she's very sci-fi based, which I love about her. One of many things. Yeah, and, and I love her gender bending stuff with, mm -hmm. you know, wearing like a dude tux. I know, she was a big inspiration on my, my love of tuxedos. I have a photo spread of her where she's dressed up as a detective and it was, it was immensely uh, influential actually on uh, one of the characters in, in my novel, on the character of Valerie. Yeah, I think that she, I wish her well and I hope that she has a very long career because if she does, she's going to be extremely influential. Yes. She's a very powerful voice for some mm -hmm. very cool things. Yeah, she's just such a funky, amazing person. Yeah. And I just love her music. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm always, you know, it's very funny. I've got that um, bent where I start hearing certain things on the radio and I don't know if this happens for you and I'm like, God, all this music sounds the same. Like there's a whiny boy quasi emo thing that happened. And I'm like, I can't tell the difference between these four guys singers. They all sound the same and they're all singing the same crappy song. Mm -hmm. But then, but then I'll still get, I don't know if you like him or don't like him. I love Adam Levine. I think I fell in love with Adam Levine because I saw this movie um, called Begin Again. This mm -hmm. is one of my all time favorite movies. Again, about the music business. Yeah. And um he's with one of my all-time favorite actresses um bend it like that I'm, I'm forgetting the british um, Kira Knightley. thank you it's Kira Knightley and also uh Mark Ruffalo who's amazing in that movie um but you know Adam's got a very distinctive and incredibly talented voice but like so my first thought is oh god I'm becoming one of those old guys like my parents are like turn down that crazy noise mm -hmm. but then I will hear new people that I'm like, oh, this is really cool. You know, like I hear Mumford and I'm like, this is awesome. It's, like, <laughs> it's not like anything else that's out there. Mm -hmm. it's like, is this like 19th century English folk music? <laughs> like what is going on here? <laughs> I, or, but like via Alabama or something? Like I don't know what's happening, but I'm on board. Mm -hmm. You know, like that kind of turns me on. Or like 
I don't hear Missy Elliott. I'm like, I don't really know much about rap. You know, like I really yeah. didn't get into it, but I'm like, but I know that she is funny, smart and sexy. And I'm going to follow her. Yes. She's got something that I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. You know? And I've tried to educate myself, you know, I've gone back and I love things like, you know, uh, he- um, heavy D um, and is it heavy D. See, look how white I am, people. If you're yeah. not as white as me, um, a public enemy, Chuck. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Damn it! I love his voice. I was like, a, he had that very authoritative voice. Yeah, no, I'm blanking. Oh, well, anyway, he's Chuck amazing. D. Yeah, yeah, Chuck D. Um, and you know, I-, I learned a lot about Dre watching these amazing HBO. Um, special documentaries mm-hmm. about him uh, and um, another producer. But w- my point is curiosity, and I think that's something that you have, and it's why you, <laughs> I think it's why you appreciate men, quite honestly. Yeah, is because you're curious, and you, and I don't mean it in a sort of negative. <laughs> you're curious, like you want to find stuff out. I mean, it makes you a great reporter, but I think it also makes you a great writer. What do you, you think about that? I th- now now you're the one flattering me. So well, it's not inaccurate, is it? <laughs> no, it isn't. Um, no, and I think also um, I'm just I'm making up for lost time. I was a, a late bloomer, and I I had I had that typical story that like hot models always give, like I was ugly in high school and didn't have a boyfriend, and that was like <laughs> me, except that I wasn't ugly. I was gorgeous in high school. Just people didn't appreciate it. Um, Cause I was like a weird goth girl. And then I got to college and I got hot. Um, and then I was just like, Ooh, I think, you know what I think it is? It's not even so much that I like men, it's that I like attention. Well, that's honest. That's, and I think a lot of us do. <laughs> I love attention. I, it, I like, um, like Jane Krakowski on 30 Rock. Like I'll do it, but only for the attention. <laughs> I saw her once on the street in Soho waiting for a cab. And I was like, Damn it, girl! You are—you have so got it. You will always have it. I saw her in Guys and Dolls in London's West End in 2005. It was a—it um, was a graduation present to myself because Ewan McGregor was starring as Sky Masterson, and he was my flavor of the week. And I also really liked him because he looks like my husband. Wow! And, yeah, my husband. I don't think I've ever seen your husband. I'll have to send you a picture. He's adorable. Um, That's great. I, well, and, if he looks like you and McGregor, he sure. Yeah. Is. Um, and so we went and saw Guys and Dolls, and Jane Krakowski was starring as uh, Adelaide. And I met her, you know, at the uh, at the theater backstage, the mm-hmm. or the stage door. And she was so sweet, and she gave me a big hug, and I have a picture with her. And years later. I was flipping channels and 30 Rock was on. I was like, oh my God, that's Jane Krakowski. I've seen her boobs. Cause they, oh. they did take back your mink. Like she just took everything off. And from where I was seated, I was in the second row. I could wow. see like some side boob. And it was again, hugely influential on the work I do now for my record Saturday pinups. She was just, she just so fearless. And so again, cheeky and lovely, incredible voice, wonderful actress, beautiful human being. You know what's you know what I love about her also, and this is the thing that I think is the commonality of the people that you're into that we're talking about. She's smart. There's something oh God, going yeah. on behind those eyes. And I remember I, I had an acting coach who has coached some famous people too, and he said to me, and he's not the first person to say this, interesting people make interesting actors. Yeah. And we, there's lots of pretty people 
who you watch. And in the second movie, like that's all, they used it all up in their first movie and they got nothing. Yeah. And that's how I know as handsome as he is, Brad Pitt is smart because, and this is my own thing. I think Brad Pitt is one of those guys who's a great character actor who's doomed to look like a leading man. But that's not, that's not who he is. He was great in Cool World. Oh, I never saw Cool World. Is that Don Bluth? No, it's uh, Ralph Bakshi. Thank you. I get them confused. And how cool that we know. So, did you ever watch Fritz the Cat? I have not. I don't even know where one would find it. Oh, I think you have to go to like some artsy-fartsy video store. Or maybe some weird theater in 42nd Street that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Like, you never, <laughs> it could be at like a, a, one of those things like Cinema Village, which is, for people who don't know, in the East Village near where I went to law school, there's a place that plays movies as a... I love... I saw... Never, I saw... Never been thought there. Um, Sean Anderson's film. I used to go to Cinema Village all the time. My husband went to SVA. Okay. So um, they, like they'll do a different movie every night and they will publish their um, schedule a month or two in advance so you can mm -hmm. look. It's where I saw The Trouble with Charlie, which is a very famous Hitchcock movie, mm -hmm. starring, starring John Forsyth and introducing, oh, Shirley MacLaine. Of course. It's her first movie. Oh, nice. Isn't that cool? It was a really mm -hmm. fun movie and I went on a date as recommended by one of my law school professors who was like, all you guys need to stop studying and go do something. We're all, <laughs> we're like, you're out of your mind. It's but true, I was, though. but I went on a date and it turned out great. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I'm bragging. Well, you know, you take a girl out to a Hitchcock movie and then for chocolate. And I had some game. I was in my twenties and I was a law student. Nice, nice, nice. You do what you can. Yeah. Um, um, we preferred, um, we would go to Cinema Village and then go to St. Ops Tea House, um, which is no longer there. Um, it was a bubble tea place. We used to go there. My husband and I would go there all the time. We were so poor when bubble I lived in New York. Exist when I was in law school. We went yeah. to a place called Taverna, which was right near the Comedy Cellar on like the oh, okay. over there. Yeah. And uh, they had like fancy desserts. Ooh. Do you ever go to dojos? Do you ever take your date to dojos? Oh, I've had more soba noodles at dojos in a, on like St. Mark's Place or something, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I still can't believe that place is open. I'm sure it's got health code violations. Oh, it's nothing but health code violations. <laughs> no, because my sister, my sister went to NYU and she would take us because it was, at that point it was cash only and you'd get vegan and she was vegan. And that, I mean, this was in the late nineties before that like became like a huge thing. And so we'd go there and then my husband and I would go there and get calamari um, and then it, it closed down after we left. And I tried to go like a couple other times when I come into the city and it was always closed. And I was in the city for one of the noir at the bar readings that Alex Segura does at Q and Willow Books. And I was just walking up the street and there was Dojo's. It was reopened. And so wow. I, had, I had dinner and you know, I went, saw a movie, did some other stuff. And then we were back, my husband and I were in the city. And that was when my sister Beth was living there. And I called her up. I was like, okay, well, let's have lunch at Dojo's. And she's like, oh, you mean, I said, because Sean used to take me there. And she said, oh, you mean this Dojo's? And it was closed again for health code violations. <laughs> it's like, it's like the circle of life. Like, 
Yeah, it just opens, it closes, it opens, it closes. The it days go like by and they'll let the water hold me down. Sounds like a chapter of the Tao, if you've yes. ever read the Tao. <laughs> Tojo's opens, the sea goes out, Dojo <laughs> closes, the sea returns with the energy of life. Yeah. And parent um, ginger dressing, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! I have now had a flashback. I'm glad I wasn't drinking water when you said that. <laughs> there was but also yeah. a place called Angelica's Kitchen, maybe? No. And another place called The Cauldron. You have to remember it was the 80s when I was there, so mm -hmm. you were probably in junior high or something. I was a, a child. Oh, I went, see? Okay. An actual child. That's fine. We're just, um, it's just... So um, I guess we need to stop the podcast now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, um, it's... And that's actually, that's one of the big themes that runs throughout the big rewinds. It takes place in a fictional section of Williamsburg, um, or a fictional section of New York between Williamsburg and uh, beyond Thunderdome, that's how she describes it. And I, because I, I lived in Brooklyn Heights in my 20s, while oh, they, my they, was, was still in, what? They gentrified Thunderdome. Yeah. It's all um, now. Yeah. Um, when my husband was at SBA, um, I lived in Brooklyn Heights uh, with a real sketchy herb dude. Um, By the way, what's SVA so people know? School of Visual Arts. Great. My husband is an artist. And uh, where in the Heights did you live since you don't live there anymore? I lived on uh, just about the corner of High and Montague. Oh, okay. I know that very well. Yep. Okay. So, Got it. Um, we'd get off the Clark Street Station. So, um, but we would, um, one of the big themes that runs through that is the idea of New York as an ever-shifting landscape, which is an incredibly like New Yorker thing to say. Like the New York I know has really changed and every generation of New Yorker has that. And you know, you've lived in New York so long that you've seen that, you know, two or three times. And I, sure. you know, I'm, I'm having that now where I'm watching, you know, sort of the, the standards that I knew, so Fairway, um, and God, when Grace Papaya goes out, it's gonna be the end of the fucking world. But like the nightclub that I used to dance in, gone. I'm Which one? Luke and Leroy's. Okay, so yeah, I don't know it, but for me, it was the limelight. It's yeah. a long time. So it was an old church that was Ooh, turned into a club. Yeah, actually, I think my friend Matthew used to go there. Um, so because I remember him telling me about that. But um, yeah, Luke and Leroy's would have these. Um, they call them uh, dark 80s parties and they do like the Smiths and Susan and the Banshees or the Cure and Depeche Mode. And um, the DJ took a liking to me and took me out to dinner one time. Very so nice. as I said, I'm Gen X catnip and um, would always play peekaboo when I got on the dance floor. Okay. I'm excellent on a dance floor, by the way. And just so we're clear, it wasn't literally the game of peekaboo, it was a song peekaboo. Yes, by Susan and the Banshees. So I'm... But yeah, like that's all of that's gone. And so part of part of the big rewind was sort of in my own way memorializing a lot of that. Like she the nightclub that she goes to is sort of modeled on Luke and Leroy's. Right. Um and it's sort of it it pays homage in not I think in ways that anyone would be like, oh that's Luke and Leroy's, but um like at least to myself. And it's funny, the the sort of last piece, well, I guess before Fairway. For my bachelorette party, my friends Beth, Corey, and Heather took me to New York for a weekend. We saw Eliza Schlesinger um, at Caroline's. We it was just, it was really fun. We went to St. Alps Tea House for what turned out to be the last time uh, before it closed, 
and we went to Palm Frites, which my sister used to take me to when she was in NYU. And Palm Frites is a Belgian frites place. It has about four chairs. It's BYOB, and it would give you a cone of carbohydrates that could power you for days. You just, you want to take a nap. You're done. Yeah. And they have 50 different sauces. We went, it was amazing. And then four days later, I'm home, I'm on Twitter, and I see there's a fire in the East Village. And oh, yeah. I'm looking over and I'm like, oh my God, how terrible. Hey, is that Palm Frites? Is Palm Frites on fire? And it had, it burned. Yeah, and I Chip Spa just closed. Like all of St. Mark's is just, I mean, uh, Trash and Vaudeville is gone. Kim's video is gone. Or no, I think, Trash and Vaudeville is still there. Right. Well, the Trash and Vaudeville I know is down near meatpacking. Um, or did they move? No. They might have moved to the meatpacking yeah. area where like the um, Chelsea Market is. Yeah. Okay. But um, Religious Sex is gone. St. Mark's Comics. All of that gone. Believe it or not. I'm going to have to wrap us up soon, which is weird because I feel like I don't know what we talked about. You're going to end up cutting like half of it anyway. But, but I do want to ask you <laughs> a question, which is, do you feel as a woman writer, you've had a harder time or have you felt like people, like how's the industry treated you? It's kind of a loaded question, I suppose. Um, but I know there's a lot of women uh, writers who feel like their voices aren't getting heard and I want to know what your take is on that I'm, I'm and what sure, we can do to change that if that's true. I'm sure that um, that I have in a lot of ways I don't know. I know that I've had a couple little sort of personal things. I had a, a crime writer who won't be named. I um, feel that he could write a story where I was a prostitute Oh, well, I, for people who can't see this, my, I literally dropped my jaw. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like, but not, he well, what, it was my actual name. And I was like, again, like a sort of like Sin City, like old town, like gun toting prostitute, not like a sex worker who is doing this of her own volition, but like an old school, like Frank Miller prostitute. Do you think he was... Do you think in some twisted way it was complimentary? Did you talk I to guess him about he, it? I did. I was like, you're disgusting. And I blocked him. And, wow. and, like, and the fact that like, I still see his name and stuff, I want to tell people, like, that guy has no respect for it. And it wasn't just me. I think it was a couple other crime writers. Like, the, the men were all like detectives and things like that. And the women were all prostitutes. That's very... It's an interesting choice to make. Yeah, it's like, I, I guess in a Midwestern way, it'd be like, that's different. <laughs> and in a Southern way, bless his heart. Yeah, I was not, I was not pleased with that because it was, you know, it was disrespectful. And they, all he saw me as was the sex object. And then I've had, um, I had another writer who also won't be named, who was edit, helping edit for an anthology and his story just didn't hold up. It just, it needed some work. And I told him so and he blocked me on Twitter. This is a guy who like claims he's a feminist and I just, I was like, oh, okay, I got it. You just can't take criticism from a woman. I really find that, and to bring this conversation full circle, I find Twitter to be a place where I've met some really great people and developed some very interesting uh, friendships. Mostly me. <laughs> well, you need the attention, so I give you the attention. I do need the attention. 
<laughs> and and some people I've met in real life, especially you. We've we've had breakfast together. We did. It was a very fancy breakfast. Uh, I think there was avocado toast involved. There might have been. Well, like, a lot of <laughs> New York in this era. Um, but there are other people. I, I don't want to get you jealous. There are other people I've met in real life too. Um, I don't get jealous. But but there's also the very real feeling that there are some people you just can't be real with. No, and then I was to, like, I, I knew this person. We spent time together in real mm -hmm. life. And just out of nowhere, just to treat me like this, was like, okay, you're just a small man who just can't handle a woman criticizing you. Yeah, I'm sorry that happened. Whatever. I don't, I don't like, I'm, as I reach 40, I have less and less time for people's bullshit. And again, I spent so much of my working day, and I love my job as a, as a reporter. Oh, I, but you realize, like, I don't have time for people to jerk me around. Right. So I, just, I, I, think, I think that's great advice for anyone, women writers or men writers or non-binary writers. Yeah. You know what? Um, just do, do your thing. As the kids say, you do yeah. you. Uh, but really just, I think paying attention to, or, or relying on other people to get your happiness is always a bad idea. Yeah, exactly. And I know who my supporters are and among them, you, you've been an incredible supporter and just, you know, wonderful and generous with your time and your energy and your tweets. I love it. But, um, I mean, I think for, for women, the hardest part right now is the naming of people and there's so many right now who are brave and are naming names and calling attention to it and i'm um, i really i really admire them i have not reached that point where i'm comfortable doing that i tend to do it more in a whisper network i definitely have a former mentor of mine who has behaved very badly not towards me but i've seen him do it to other people and I'm very comfortable just whispering. Like, uh, that's interesting. I know that I have a friend who I acted with in a version of Little Shop of Horrors. <gasps> who, yeah, who I, was Mr. Munch, I was Muchnik. Oh, I love it. Thanks. I'll tell My you, husband was uh, Orin Scrivello. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story about that. Um, I was very full of myself as an actor, and I was really trying to play Muchnik very real. <laughs> and I, I, I read it and read it and thought about it and listened to it. And I decided that the reason he was cheap and crazy and whatever was that he was a Holocaust survivor. It was around that time it made sense. So I went, I, by coincidence, I went to the Washington, Smith, the Smithsonian mm -hmm. Holocaust Museum. And in that museum, uh, spoiler alert, there's a room of pictures of people's forearms with tattoos of mm -hmm. numbers on them. Yeah. So I wrote down a real number, just one grounded in yeah. reality. Um, I don't know if, if you can pick up what's going on in the other room. My wife is listening to a very famous movie. I'm not willing to even name it because I don't want to end up sued. But it well, involves. Just tell me it. it involves. Lord of the Rings, one of them. Oh, okay. So um, she's addicted to that. But anyway, so I wrote the number down on my arm every time in rehearsal before I'd go on. It was an actor thing. Yeah. Dress rehearsal and they're doing notes. And the director goes, um, why is that on your arm? 
so I'm very full of myself. I'm well, you know, I did, and I explained what it was. They go, wow, that's really cool. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. not my show. That's yeah. not my show. That's really funny. That's love, your process. Yeah. I love theater. I really do. I do. I do a lot of community theater now. And right now oh, I'm just cool. doing like, like small stuff because I, I my work keeps me really busy but um I did uh Harvey oh I'm gonna have to end us we're, we're we never even long. talked about the law we never even got to like the central thesis of this podcast and you know what that's not that's okay I mean I think we sideswiped it with your uh the criminal stuff you do and mm -hmm. it just gives us an excuse to have you back when you promote the new book after you tell us about how you sold yes. it and what's going on. I promise I will have you back. Yes, uh, please. I'd love that. Lily Cudmore, it's really great to have you on. Is this, oh. is that really legal with Eric <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Eric. This was a pleasure. I don't know what else you could possibly want, but uh, I absolutely loved having that conversation. I'm glad you could join me for that. Um, we're going to continue to have amazing people on this show talking about how their lives brush up against the law and uh, all kinds of things. Um, so look for Libby out in the real world. Look for me. You can find us on Twitter. Is that, well, <laughs> it's complicated. Go to the website, isthatreallylegal.com. And uh, you can leave me a message there. You can ask me about Abe's muffins. Please take care of yourselves, okay? And uh, don't forget to register to vote, okay? Do that. It's like everything depends on us this November. All right, I'm just going to leave it like that. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Stay well. <laughs>